after a historic after a historic um, tenure as director general of Jerusalem's Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Uh, last year, uh, Professor Yonatan Alevi became its uh, president. He's now the president of the Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. And we had an opportunity a couple of months back to speak with him and get a uh, an update, a, a situational analysis of what's happening regarding COVID-19 in Israel. And now, of course, we're following the news from thousands of miles away, and we're curious what's happening today. Professor Yonatan Alevi, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much, and uh, good to speak to you again. How are you? Baruch Hashem. As I say, God's been very generous and good to us. Baruch Hashem, I hope you're doing well during this time as well. You know, one of the people that we often feature on this program is Nisim Black, who's a pretty well-known member of the Jewish music world. And I don't know if you're following his social media or not, but both he and his wife have unfortunately suffered, and Baruch Hashem are now recovering from COVID-19. But he has spent a lot of time on social media praising the staff and the people that you're very familiar with at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. So I see even though this has gone on for quite a while, COVID-19, all the way since Purim time, I see that your staff, Baruch Hashem, is still able to dispense great care and do so in uh, in a manner that we would call supreme bedside manner. Yeah, thank God. <clears throat> Even uh, an hour ago, a couple uh, who was hospitalized in another hospital were released prematurely and were admitted 48 hours ago to Sharitzev, COVID-19 department, praised and noted the difference. So thank you for the compliment. I'm very subjective about it. Yes, it's true that it's already uh, four months, but, you know, Israel had uh, two waves. So we had the privilege of uh, having very, very few patients. Actually, we had a week where we had no COVID-19 patients at Charit Wow. But unfortunately, in the last six weeks, the numbers are climbing again. I'll give you some numbers and yep. also my view about the difference between the two waves in Israel. Right. So right, right now, true for this minute, there are uh, 41 patients hospitalized uh, in Shari Tzedek with uh, COVID-19. The peak was Erev Pesach, just before Passover of this year, mid-April or April 9th, I think, was Erev Pesach. We had 128. Wow. So this wave is characterized by lower numbers of patients who need to be admitted to the hospital. There, are, there is a higher number of patients who are being diagnosed, partly because the new Minister of Health in Israel decided to test asymptomatic patients, and the numbers went up from six, five to 6,000 studies, COVID-19 exams a day, it went up to close to 30,000. Yesterday, they did uh, 26,000 uh, COVID-19 tests in Israel. Right. So part of the rise in the number of diagnoses is the increase in the number of tests. But also there is a real increase in the number of patients. It's already a few weeks that the numbers of affected people is not concentrated in certain uh, cities like uh, Bnei Barak or like Jerusalem or the Haredi community. On the contrary, the ultra-Orthodox community is very disciplined now, 
And uh, we see the patients all over the country, all over the country. It's true that Jerusalem is still a leader, but not necessarily because of the 25% of its population composed of ultra-Orthodox. We almost, and this is very, it's curious map. In the first wave, there was zero number of Arabs. Today, the Arabs comprise about 30%. It's as if COVID-19 reached them later. No one knows. You know, there is the same statistics from neighboring countries, from Jordan, from Egypt, that started very, very slowly. I think that the virus saw more, showed more affinity to highly developed countries at the beginning, and only then spread. If you take Africa, Africa, poor Africa is almost spared till today. Very low numbers. So this is an observation. But another difference between the first wave and this wave, and this is this calls for cautious optimism, is the fact that the morbidity, the severity of the illness, right. is much less. Uh, at the peak of the first wave, we had 17 patients on respirators. We have four now. The average age of the patients is much, much lower. It has to do with the fact that Israel learned the lesson after the first wave and put special emphasis and a lot of repeated tests in nursing homes. Every couple of days, every every one who resides in a nursing home and the whole staff of the nursing homes is tested again for COVID-19, and if he turns positive, is immediately isolated. The nursing homes are sealed, and no one, not even family members, can come and visit. So we don't see those who are the most vulnerable right. and the highest risk group we don't see them in hospital, and in general, the level of acuity and severity of COVID-19 uh, uh, sufferers in this wave is much lower. So I hope that the big numbers will come down. Uh, you probably know, and the viewers who have relatives in Israel knew that the government took few steps two weeks ago that we are maybe starting to see their effect. And this is mainly regarding gatherings. Right. So gatherings were forbidden, even in shuls. Only 10 people allowed indoors if there are conditions to keep social separation. And only 19 outdoors, regardless of the size of the outdoors, poor outdoor space near the hospital. I davened last Shabbat, Shabbat Mevarachim. I davened with other 18 people. No more, and I lay in the whole Matot Maser. You know, it was the longest sidra of the year right. uh, for, for 19 people, 18 people, and myself. And uh, usually in my shul there are 200, so you have to register ahead, and you go only um, only if you are registered. And once it gets to 19, the Gabai, the Corona Gabai, as they call him does not register anymore. So, you know, we feel the corona very much, but I have cautious optimism from the fact that the virus is less aggressive. Did it undergo a mutation? There is no research to back it. 
I believe it's the lower age of the patients. Today we don't believe that the summer do anything, but I think there is a room for cautious optimism because although the numbers are still growing larger, the severity of the cases and the mortality is not very high and, uh, and very stable. It doesn't increase. There are between four and six additional patients who die a day in Israel, right. as opposed to 1,500 to 2,000 who are tested positive. Uh, Professor Yonatan Alevi is with us, uh, Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. He serves as its president. Let me let me go back for a minute, just ask, uh, I mean, the, the age factor and taking care of our elderly, I think that's something that the world, Europe, U.S., Israel, as you just described, I think that's something we've learned to, to do much better, and, and in general, people in that age category and those with certain conditions have learned that isolation or relative isolation is better for them at this point, and I understand that that certainly has reduced, thank God, the mortality uh, numbers. But give me give me a, a sentence or two. I know that you know it, it. It sounds like you've indicated to us already that it's somewhat mysterious. But is there any theory you can give us about why developed countries, as opposed to poor Africa, as you mentioned, uh, have so much you know of a so much more of a higher rate, have so much more of an effect? from COVID-19? Look, if there is an explanation that they apply to the beginning of the epidemic, I don't know if it applies today. The more international traveling, right. the more... Uh, so at the beginning, it's no wonder that the initial spread from China went to Europe, because that's the international traveling. But we are three and a half to four months after most Western countries close their borders, and third world countries also close their uh, airports. So that's the only, the delay may have been because the epidemic, we all know, started in China, and at the beginning it was international traveling. The yeshiva bochers that entered Israel during the 72 hours, not only yeshiva bochers, but mainly... Right. People who did a lot of went to Israel during the 72 hours that Bibi Netanyahu delayed the closure of the border from the U.S. because he didn't want to annoy President Trump, are uh, responsible for around 5,000 cases. It's a well-documented. Professor Alevi, you mentioned President Trump. I don't want to get political, but you said something that to us as Americans who follow the news is really important. Uh, When the president mentions uh, and responds to the criticism that our numbers have skyrocketed in this country, he'll often point out that we're doing more testing than anybody else and more tests will lead to more numbers of cases. Uh, it, it sounds, and and the media tells us, and the media mocks him. Usually, the mainstream media here mocks him for that statement uh, in very creative ways. Again, without getting political or asking for your preferences in the White House, it sounds like, based on what you're saying, that there's legitimacy to his point of view. Well, there was full legitimacy if the number of deceased, if the number of victims, was not going up. But unfortunately, when you look at the number of people who die from the epidemic uh, right now in Florida, in California, in Texas, that's the important number. Yes, 
a certain increase in the number of diagnosed patients comes from the increase in the number of tests. Right. In Israel, it's the same. But if you look at the far end of the severity index, those who are on ventilators and those who die, if there is a steep increase, definitely in the three states that I just mentioned. Right. And this does not lend credence. So right. I think your uh, president this time is only partially... Um, Right. Understood. Uh, it, when you refer, you just you describe the second wave in Israel really well. How it's working, the differences, etc. Is 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 what is going on in thirty plus states here a second wave, or or because some states were a little bit more lackadaisical when it came to restrictions and were quick to reopen, you might not even consider this a second wave. And secondly. Um, do we need to – you see the numbers in the New York, New Jersey area. They're, they're quite impressive, thank God, compared to what it was in April and May. Do, do you think we need to anticipate a second wave, or we may be able to avoid it here? I believe that the second wave in Israel is really not a real second wave, but it's an extension of the first wave and results from the very quick and comprehensive coming out of the lockdowns. From a full, full hermetic lockdown, Erev Pesach, right, which right. in four weeks, all the schools return all together. Right. You know, and uh, for, for a week, the students learned in capsules, but quickly enough, because classes in Israel are very large, 35 to 40 students, the physical facility is congested, and what we call the second way, is ascribed in Israel to uh, coming out too quickly and too broadly. And I think that states that don't do it, and especially if the physical conditions of the school, you know, we don't know how much. You know the children are not severely sick except rare cases. Right. We also know that they are probably less contagious, but they are contagious. Right. And they, they, they infect their parents. And uh, because Israel was so hasty to return the Israeli market back, we did it too fast. Instead of doing it gradually, extending the study in capsules, and those who do not have room in the class should learn, um, you know, digitally from home, we didn't do it. And that's the price that we pay. So So, if you look, I think that New York was much, much slower in releasing the public from the lockdowns, right. I think your elderly, most of Sharet Tzedek donors are elderly people. I talked to them. Some of them did not leave home for 12, 13, 15 weeks. Right. I, 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 I never left. I, I, and thank God, I, I mean, I shouldn't say thank God, but factually I'm not among the elderly yet, but except for walking to my studio where I've been alone uh, for all these weeks. I never went anywhere for any event until uh, Lagba Omer. Do you have a general opinion since schools in Israel are generally opening each year, September the 1st? Do you have a general point of view about how they should go about uh, the school session for the upcoming year? I think I think there should be a limit on the number. I think that every class should be divided into two groups. Each group will represent a capsule, and I think that three days a week, the first capsule 
should uh, learn frontally with the teacher, sitting with masks, six feet apart from each other, and the other half should be home digitally on the Internet, and then rotate. So both capsules and small groups, I think uh, September 1st is so close, I think that's going to be the situation. All right, two quick things before I let you go. Vaccine. I, I, I'm sure you're watching all of the. I mean, you're up to date on everything in the medical world. I'm sure you're watching this very, very closely. And we keep hearing about uh, about a, U, a UK vaccine in cooperation with one of the companies here in the United States. Um, uh, do you think that this, what seems like a dream, frankly, when the president of the United States mentions it, that we could have a vaccine uh, mass marketed by the end of this calendar year? Do you think that really could be a reality? Well, we definitely hope for this. I listened the other way to your Anthony Fauci, who I understand still enjoys um, a lot of popularity, (laughs) and justifiably so. And uh, he was mentioning that it may be even as close as December of this year. When I look at the scientific publication and the, the announcements of Oxford in the UK and Moderna, in the U.S., they are both deep into the clinical trials. They finished phase one, where they tested it on few tens, 45, 50, maximum 90 uh, healthy volunteers. They publicized, and I think this calls for optimism, that uh, the title, the quantity of antibodies produced through the vaccine surpassed significantly the quantity of antibodies that produced by the natural infection by COVID-19. Right. But one thing has not been proven yet, and that's that a mass, a phase three, on thousands of people of all ages is both efficacious and safe. You know, the ultimate trial is that these patients, after getting the vaccine, should be infected with the virus and show that they do not get sick. So all these clinical trials, with their ethical dilemmas and questions which we have no time to go into, uh, usually take a year to a year and a half. Now everything is accelerated. So I think December 2020, and Fauci also was very, uh, you know, very careful in the way he said it. He right. said maybe, I think that's the quickest. If we have it towards the end of the winter, March or April 21, I will be very happy. You know how uh, Professor Alevi is with us from Israel. You know how hard the Orthodox communities were hit, uh, Pesach time, Purim Pesach, uh, especially in very heavily Orthodox neighborhoods of uh, New York and New Jersey. It's well documented. There's even this theory about herd immunity. I get that. Uh, a very, very lackadaisical attitude in certain communities right now uh, to wearing masks and social distancing because of these high antibody uh, counts being found in people in our community. I still think that there's a lot of ignorance and arrogance that goes along with that, but that's not for this conversation. That's just a personal opinion. Uh, But with all that in mind, have you seen any cases of reinfection? Are you of the opinion that it really seems that at least for this season, I understand as little as I know about medicine, I understand that the calendar always has you know an effect on things. Um, but are, are, are you willing to say that at least for this season, someone who's been infected will likely not be reinfected? 
I, I believe so. You know, trying to um, deduce from other viruses, there is no reason in the world. To think. I think that the few cases of reinfection, most of them are another peak of the same infection. And even it, if it is a reinfection, it should be extremely, extremely rare. I believe that the virus, like most viruses, confers immunity. We do not know for how long. That's why you were cautious to say for this season. And I believe it's a rule of thumb. Anybody who had the virus, had a positive PCR, and when he recovered, had a positive serological test for antibodies, should be rest assured that he cannot be reinfected. But wouldn't, but wouldn't you still recommend that it would be proper, especially when mingling with other communities, for them to wear masks and social distance because many people do not have antibodies and do not, and thank God, have been so careful, have not suffered from COVID-19? Yeah, I believe so. Also because of Marie Tai, nobody right. knows that right. you have antibodies. Correct. So I believe they should, and it's not such, such a far-reaching uh, expectation to wear the mask. Everybody does it today, and they think they should do too. One of our listeners on the apps asks if it's safe for gap year students. I, I guess, again... Based on what you said earlier, one of, it sounds to me at least that one of the reasons the government of Israel is, is ready to let the gap year students come to Israel is because the schools are guaranteeing and the seminaries and yeshivot are guaranteeing that proper testing will be done before, during, and after, and they'll be quarantining in the institutions for at least two weeks. So I guess there's a certain amount of trust that the government, if they do make this decision to let the gap year students in, a certain amount of trust they have in those who are leading these institutions. Yeah, that's correct. Finally, I must ask you, when you read Matot Masse, do you get all the aliyot like is happening now in my shul, the Balkori gets all the aliyot, or do you uh, distribute them and let people say the brachot from a little bit of a distance? Oh, that was wonderful. But uh, no, I did not get. There were seven koim, seven gavrei. And they stood, none, none of them approached the Seifel. Right. They all, they didn't kiss the Torah. They all stood six feet uh, away. They said the Bracha and did not touch or did not approach me. I was the only one without a mask. It's very difficult to lane for 50 minutes. Right. That's what it took me right. to read Matot Marseille um, with, with a mask. But uh, nobody got closer than six feet to the Seifel. You know, you have access to a lot of personal protective equipment. Would a face shield be sufficient for a Balcore, or you would say no? No, I would say it should be sufficient. Oh, it's, it's not sufficient only for someone who is really getting close right. to a patient with COVID-19. Because a school teacher said to me, in, in the hopes of going back to teaching in September, uh, they said that they will certainly wear a mask when appropriate, obviously, especially if they have a conversation with a student. But to lecture, they think a face shield should be, should be sufficient to protect them and to protect others, and it sounds like you likely agree with that. Yeah, I do, especially if the lecturer really stands right. even more than six feet apart from his listener. Professor Alevi, always a delight to speak with you. A tzom kal, and I look forward, Bezrat Hashem, to speaking with you in Jerusalem very soon, please, God. Likewise. Likewise. You're always welcome, Rachel. I appreciate it. Be well. Professor Yonatan Alevi, President, Shari Tzedek Medical Center.
He's amazing, as are all our friends at Shari Tzedek, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app.